we're probably looking for a different type of battery. And this isn't just for cars, again, or for your phone. This is for the future of humanity. We're, we're going to start storing more and more energy in big, uh, enormous rechargeable batteries because you can't you can't have um, you can't have a like a wind turbine, for example, without a big distributed energy storage system. All right, everybody, welcome to the Angel Research Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Stutman, and we are here, as usual, to discuss the market's hottest stories and investment opportunities. We have Alex Koifman with us today. Uh, Alex is an expert in microcap investing and emerging technology. Uh, real quick disclaimer, nothing that we say here today is personal investing, investing advice. Uh, we can give you the tools and the insights that you need to make great trades, but we can't make these trades for you. Also, like, comment, subscribe, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Alex, it's great to have you here. Welcome to the show. Uh, you always have having some, me. Sure. Uh, we always have unique and exciting stock picks coming from your end. Um, we, I kind of like to start these off with just a little bit of background. Maybe you can tell people how you got into the investing space, uh, you know, a little bit maybe about the services that you run, um, what got you into microcaps in particular, and uh, we can go from there. Okay, sure. Um, how I got into investing to begin with. Um, kind of an interesting story. Uh, back in the early 2000s, uh, there was a company called WorldCom, which you probably don't even remember. Uh, I'm assuming a lot of our readers do remember it. Uh, but anyway, it was one of the biggest tech companies of its time. I think its valuation uh, before its collapse was something like $80 billion. And so um, anyway, long story short, a bunch of fraud happened. And What uh, did they do or what did they suppose, uh, like supposedly Telecommunications do? and uh, various emerging technologies around the internet. Uh, I actually, I remember hearing that uh, the company's valuation was largely based on theoretical ideas that they were having about what, what they might make in the next couple of years. But anyway, the whole thing fell apart. Um, the stock collapsed uh, into um, the penny range, this is the single penny range. And I remember thinking to myself, um, you know, this this company was valued at eighty billion dollars just a couple of weeks ago. Now it's trading in like the thirty, fifty million dollar range. There must be some sort of inefficiency here. You know, um, I wasn't uh, by no means had any experience with uh, finance or human psychology, which I think plays into finance a lot. But uh, I could see that there was a, an inefficiency here. People panicked. Uh, they tried to get out as quickly as possible. And so, you know, lo and behold, you have a seven cent stock that sh shouldn't be there. And so I remember my first E-Trade account ever was registered just so that I could buy the stock at seven cents. And I did. Um, I had several thousand dollars saved up. And so I kind of put the whole thing into WorldCom at seven cents. And within a couple of days, it had bounced back to like 35 cents, which is, you know, it's a fivefold uh, fivefold gain, which is huge by any standards. Uh, it was very liquid. It was trading millions or tens of millions of shares per day. And so I was able to uh, sell uh, at close to the top. And then, of course, I got greedy and waited for it to fall back again and rebought. And I think this cycle happened maybe two or three times before finally news of the company's reorganization, uh, well, long story short, bankruptcy came down, at which point the shares lost all value. And I'm pretty sure most of my investment evaporated with that also. But it sort of uh, lit that fire. So for better or for worse, that's how it started. Um, 
I like to think that my decision making is a little bit better nowadays. I was gonna say, are you are you still kind of you know hundred percent in in micro cap stocks, or is have you kind of matured over the years? And maybe what are I some mean, things that you've learned, uh, you know, from those mistakes? And in terms of because I I know that you kind of have this big like. Uh, you know, people look at penny stocks and they think like high risk, uh, scammy, and you kind of have this big mantra about de-risking. You're, you want to stick in this arena, but you want to minimize your risk. So maybe you could tell the audience a little bit about uh, how you do Yeah, that. I mean, uh, of course, uh, there's a lot of risk. Um, in, in the U.S. markets, you don't see too many companies that are public at a valuation of, of less than nine figures, you know, less than $100 million. Um, that's that's where uh, the cutoff is for microcaps. It's uh, it's I think a hundred a hundred to two hundred million is a microcap. Then below that is nano cap, and then you get small cap, and so on and so forth. Um, to to answer your first question, yes, I, I am more diverse nowadays. Um, I just you know it it it's impossible to put everything into a couple of penny stocks and still call yourself sane. Um, you know it it is. It is a form of gambling, uh, no matter what, no matter how you look at it. Uh, if you do it properly and de-risk it properly, you're, the chances are definitely on your side of the table and not, not the house's side of the table. But um, yes, I do invest in bigger companies these days, uh, you know, like the classic buy and hold or just forget you even own the stock. Sure. I do that. I have a retirement account that's completely, you know, v- very conservative uh, type stuff. But I'm still mostly interested in... The microcap space, um, I hate to say it, uh, a lot of it is because of the excitement, because you do get double-digit percentage changes on a daily basis. That's that's not even strange. Um, it, it's not uncommon. It happens all the time. Any bit of news can send a stock up or down substantially. It's something that I think most people who invest their heart and money, they they can't really stomach that. Uh, I can, and I've, I've done it fairly effectively over the last uh, 10, 12, 15 years. And I, I have built a pretty a, a pretty good portfolio and a net worth and everything using primarily these um, more risky stocks. Now, how do you de-risk? Uh, the first thing is, uh, in my opinion, you stay away from some of the, the most uh, fraud-likely, fraud-prone uh, mm-hmm. industries. And we see a lot of that in the mining space, specifically uh, Canadian mining companies. We, not that there aren't good ones, I don't want to say that, but it's it seems to be a place where um, a lot of people who set these companies up, they, they may not be, uh, you know, completely... What's- What's up with Canada? Like, what? Why are there so many? Of, like, is it regulation? What's going on? So there? in Canada, um, I don't know if it's regulation. I think it's mostly the culture, uh, the the economic financial culture. They do have a lot of companies that are publicly traded that are. They have uh, valuations in the single double double uh, digit millions. So what would be considered a nano cap here on the on the TSX, for example. Uh, TSX Vancouver isn't uh, abnormal at all. Uh, you know their their average, and don't don't hold me to this, but uh, their average valuation is probably somewhere in the fifty million dollar range. Okay, which here would be microscopic, but there it's fairly common. Um, they a lot of those companies uh, have uh, mirror listings here uh, in the U.S. on the OTC, so you can buy shares of a Canadian company, for example on the US OTC, um, it's going to be a slightly different price because it's American dollars as opposed to Canadian dollars. Uh, it might be less liquid because most of the investors are buying the Canadian listing, but you, you can play that game uh, using 
just your normal uh, Scott Trade, E Trade, uh, Ameritrade um, online brokerage platform. So um, yeah, Canada is like the center of the universe for uh, microcap public companies. Um, in the U.S., uh, most IPOs you hear about are way bigger. Like I said, you know, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars. That's what you hear about there. Going public at ten, twenty million dollars isn't crazy at all. And so. If you want to get into it, uh, it's best to know something about what's going on over there. And to know some people over there, I assume. Like, do you have some contacts, or how, do, how does like how do you generally find a stock? Are you kind of just like running a screen? Are you getting? Are you, do you have you know personal contacts who are feeding you that information? Or I, I do uh, a combination of all those. Um, I used to run lots of screens, and uh, you know, just the classic route to to sort of sifting through companies. Uh, but uh, the well, deeper I go, edu- educate some people. What what is your classic route for doing that? Um, well, uh, one of the things I say is avoid microcaps that pay out dividends, for example, because sure. you don't. It's it just goes against their model of growth to be doling out profits. So that's one thing. Um, you do, know, do you need profit profitability? No, or are you looking for? Um, no, not always. That's the thing uh, with companies at this stage of development. Profitability is, uh, I would say, almost a rarity. You yep. know, um, these companies are development stage. They're they're basically startups. You know, you're. I like to tell people when I'm getting especially romantic about it uh, is that you're almost like a venture capitalist if you're getting into this. Sure. Because these companies really are. Uh, you know, they're. If you were to go to Silicon Valley and find a company with a valuation of ten to twenty million dollars, you're probably looking at a couple of guys in an office. So. Um, yeah, uh, you. Long story short, profitability isn't the number one thing. Um, but uh, you know, some cash flow is good. Uh, debt isn't isn't good. Uh, you want uh, you want gross margins, perhaps. Uh, this is all for heavily de-risked microcap stocks. So this is the way that I would find the ones that uh, have that probably less potential to grow, but less potential to fail as well. So getting back to your original question. Um, as far as the contacts go, uh, as I got more and more entrenched in this whole thing, I did uh, start meeting people and building a network. And nowadays, I do get a lot of phone calls, and uh, it's just I get a lot of pitches, sure, if you will. Um, Some more reputable than than others, or um, yes, I, I do get lots of irreputable pitches. Um, how do you how do you tell? How do you kind of discern the difference? I mean, I, at this point, swinging, I just swinging I, bullshit, I, and someone who's. Uh, um, well, uh, there are certain people, just specific people that I avoid. That's probably uh, my best uh, sort of uh, method for avoiding those pitfalls. But sure. um, I, more so, it's I stick with people that I know are good and have done well before. And so, uh, you know, I, I consider these people friends. And when they tell me that, you know, they're putting together something, uh, even if it's like a gold company, something that I would definitely tread very lightly on, uh, usually I would I would pay more attention to it. And so... Um, yeah, it's reputation of, of people that I've known for years. So, yeah, that, that does play a big role. Okay, so let's, uh, let's switch the cop- topic of conversation to, uh, you know, a specific stock that you've been teasing lately surrounding mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, uh, I guess the energy, uh, energy space mm-hmm. and uh, energy storage in particular. Um, I, I guess maybe it might, might make sense to kind of just frame this with a little bit of background about the lithium supply shortage that's going on in the world. And maybe you could give the the audience some context about, uh, you know, exactly what is going on with, uh, you know, 
lithium demand? Uh, why is it increasing so much? And uh, what are the potential pitfalls? Like, can we rely on lithium uh, in the you know over the long run, or is there something else that we're going to need to do? Um, I guess well, the short answer is no. We can't rely on it in the long run. Uh, the reasons being that uh, just uh, lithium demand, uh, as far as what the foreseeable plans are for things like electrical vehicles and uh, renewable energy, lithium demand is supposed to go up something like 1,300 percent, I, I believe, uh, is the statistic I was looking at, just um, by the end of this decade. And so um, that's considering that uh, in the U.S., we produce, uh, what is it, something like 10% uh, of, of known lithium uh, reserves yeah. are in the U.S. So uh, you already have right there a um, huge minefield of, uh, of uh, supply chain issues, right? Uh, the Chinese right now are buying up lithium mines. They're, they, they know that they can see the future. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't take a genius to do it. And so they're buying lithium mines all over the world. They, they might control something like 70% of it by the time this time frame is over. And so... Uh, we're not on super friendly terms with them. Uh, it is likely to get worse in the next couple of years. So just for those two reasons already, you know, lithium is kind of something that we're trying to get away from. Other issues with lithium is environmental impact. Uh, I know there was a statistic about how, you know, to refine one kilogram of lithium, it requires X number of gallons of diesel fuel for all the big trucks and heavy equipment. I don't remember, I don't actually, where I, where I read all those statistics, it may have not been the most uh, reputable source of information, but I mean, it's a fact. It takes a lot to refine lithium, and one of the biggest things that it takes is water. And so in, a, in an era where water shortages are a real thing, especially in the U.S., uh, lithium production here is, is just, it's probably got a kind of a dim future. So those are on the production end. As far as lithium performance in batteries, um, lithium performance in batteries, mainstream uh, applications like electrical vehicles, it's uh, quickly um, becoming uh, not acceptable to the consumer, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, your, uh, your Tesla, for example, if you have one, uh, it's uh, it's a lithium battery pack. It's got uh, a maximum lifespan of something like three to four hundred cycles, right? So three hundred times you charge it, three hundred times you discharge it. The most range they can get out of uh, one of those battery packs uh, today is about four hundred miles, right? So if you do the math, the lifespan of uh, essentially uh, you know like the power the the power source for any Tesla is going to be something like between 120 and 150,000 miles. And then after that, you have to get a new one. Sure. Uh, they also fail, um, lithium batteries fail at sort of their own rate. You know, some of them have a lifespan of 350 cycles. Some others might have a lifespan of 450 cycles. Uh, they fail, they corrode, um, they charge slowly. You know, it takes even, even on the highest speed charger there is, it takes at least half an hour to charge it up to 80%. So that's actually one of the biggest uh, stumbling blocks for people who are considering switching from ICE to, uh, to EVs is uh, the amount of time they spend at the, at the charging station. Sure, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of... Uh Sorry, I'm losing my uh, train of thought here. Um, okay, so look, obviously lithium batteries aren't going to cut it. Um, what is the solution? Is the solution to go back to to internal combustion engines? Is the solution to move on to something different? What, how do we actually 
fix this situation? Um, well, uh, you know, you're going to get different answers from different people, uh, you know, on the, on the whole returning to internal combustion. Probably not, though. We're probably not going to go there. We're probably looking for a different type of battery. And this isn't just for cars, again, or for your phone. This is for the future of humanity. We're, we're going to start storing more and more energy in big, uh, enormous rechargeable batteries because you can't, you can't have, um, you can't have a, like a wind turbine, for example, without a big distributed energy storage system. Sure. Uh, and lithium is not ideal for that, right? Well, no, I mean, lithium, the, those big batteries, those big, huge lithium batteries have all the, the drawbacks of a small lithium battery. So, no, that's not going to really cut it either. So what you, what you need, ideally, is a battery with more capacity, a longer life, um, quicker, uh, quicker charging, and um, more reliable, easier to produce. And so right now, uh, going back to the that company that we had been teasing, uh, one of the potential solutions on the table is a graphene ion, uh, graphene aluminum ion. Um, so graphene, I don't know if everybody's familiar with this stuff, but it's a highly uh, experimental, very new material. Uh, it's called a, a nanostructure, a two-dimensional nanostructure. It's, a, it's, a, it's carbon, and it was... A, invented for the first time uh, in the early 2000s, but uh, its researchers, the two key researchers, won the Nobel Prize for it in just in 2012. So less than 10 years ago, it was on that level of development. Sure. Uh, it costs a ridiculous amount to produce, something like 90,000 bucks a kilogram, at least that, that was the traditional production method. But uh, this stuff is, is like, you know, otherworldly. It's magical. It's 200 times as strong as steel. It's as light as paper. Uh, it's one of uh, the best conductors of electricity. Its uh, thermal conductivity is off the charts. Uh, its ion uh, storage density potential, uh, which is what makes it potentially good material for a battery, is also, uh, it, it beats lithium by leaps and bounds. And so this was an experimental battery that uh, one Australian company was developing. And uh, it, was, it was the price of production of the graphene was was really the big obstacle there. Yeah, I mean, I've been hearing about graphene for years, yeah. uh, but it seems that it never, it, it hasn't materialized yet, at least, because the scalability of lithium is just, it makes more sense for sure. these EV producers. Uh, so what is, like, kind of, what is this breaking, where is the breaking point for this, or what is maybe this company doing that uh, kind of has you thinking that they, may, they might actually be onto something? So what they're doing, um, which is potentially even cooler than the the uh, graphene aluminum ion battery itself, is that they managed to figure out a way to produce graphene for like like orders of magnitude less than it was produced. So we're t we're talking now single single uh, double digit dollars per kilogram as opposed to that many thousands. And the way they do it, uh, I'm not going to get technical about it because uh, I actually don't really know much about the technical process, but how it works is they make uh, graphene directly from natural gas and electricity. That's it. And there is uh, very little to zero uh, detritus. Like they, they, there isn't as much uh, – there are no pollutants that result from this process. Sure. Uh, and they can mass produce it. They can produce it uh, on a very, very precise level. So they, they can customize it for whatever they need. And specifically in batteries, the result is crazy. I mean, they, uh, first of all, the, 
charge-discharge cycle life of uh, graphene battery is going to be something like three times as much as a lithium battery. So, uh, you know, we're talking like a thousand cycles now instead of three or four hundred. The energy density is one and a half times as much. So you're going to you're going to get, you know, now 700 miles to a charge. Uh, this is with existing electric motor technology. So they also charge faster as well. They charge less. up to 70 times faster. So you're talking about a full charge in less than a minute, which okay. is faster than you can fill your gas tank. You know, which is, I mean, that's that right there. That that changes the entire game for electrical vehicles. All right. So this company is producing the graphene. They could do it for much cheaper than you know anyone that you're aware of. Are are they waiting for like a big client? Are they supplying this to anyone right now? What's the like? What's the blue sky scenario so for what, this? So what they're guys? the stage that they're in right now is that they're producing a coin and pouch batteries. So you you know what a coin battery is? It's like the tiny you know circular. It it, it runs. It basically runs your laptops. Um, sure. Long term memories. Even when it shuts down, it, it still maintains all of the internal data. So you know it'll go into your watch. That was the first thing they. So produced. they're starting small. That makes sense. They're starting small. Uh, these are already. Uh, production production models that are rolling off their assembly line uh, as we speak, and what they're doing is they're sending these off to various uh, other corporations that would put them in their products just for testing uh, feasibility. And so they started with those coin batteries. What's the share price? Uh, the Roughly. share price uh, last time I looked at it was like between two and a half and three dollars. Okay, U.S. dollars. So you know that doesn't really say anything. You have to multiply the share price by the shares outstanding, but you know, the share prices already kind of gives you like a little bit of feeling of stability. You're sure. not in the pennies. And, you know, this company, again, a quarter billion dollars. So they're, they have a factory. This isn't just a couple of guys in a room uh, talking shit and exchanging ideas anymore. Sure. They're, they're, they're heading where they need to head. Uh, they're not profitable, but, you know, again, they're developing a, a world changing technology that everybody can use that, everybody will benefit from and uh you know hopefully it'll it'll lead to a better future overall so that's the kind of bet that i like to take personally um if it fails i'd be very surprised but you know that's that's the name of the game kind sure of. yeah everything has some risk sure um and if uh the audience or the listeners want to take that that bet uh, you know alongside you uh what would they have to do to, to sign up for a microcap insider you got some reports. What's the how? What what do they get if they sign up to Microcap? Insider? If they the sign deal? up, if they sign up, uh, they will get the report that details the that company that I just described. Sure. Uh, you know, name, ticker symbol, uh, all the people that are you know d- doing all the work, the the brain trust, uh, the vital statistics, where the share price has been, uh, where it is right now, all, all that all that stuff. Uh, it'll talk about the technology. It'll talk about the new method for producing graphene and why that's important. And, you know, kind of uh, put that within the context of, of the grander market. Okay, great. Well, we'll put a link in the description so that people can figure out how to sign up, figure out if the, the service is right for them. And uh, Alex, thanks for being on the show. Everyone Absolutely. else, uh, like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. And we'll see you next time.